0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is Thank you. More people than I thought might make it today, but the roads are pretty clear. A lot of us in the Pacific Northwest, if we see snow, we stay home. But it's wonderful to be here together this morning. On this important day, the final Sunday in preparation for our journey into toward Pascha through Great and Holy Land, We've been reflecting at length on different themes that have been preparing us, preparing our, hopefully our hearts and our minds to venture into this holy season with a firm resolve, And today we continue our preparation, lest we be caught by surprise once again when that beautiful journey begins tomorrow morning. So today in the Holy Orthodox Church, on the final Sunday in preparation for Great and Holy Lent, we celebrate what we call the Sunday of Forgiveness, on which we commemorate also the expulsion of Adam and Eve from paradise. And it's also, as you know, called Cheese Fair Sunday because it's the last day that we eat dairy products before Holy Pascha. I want to talk a little bit about the fall of man and just a couple of things that we can learn from it this morning. And two things that I think that we really need to apply to our lives, especially during the beautiful season of Great and Holy Lent. A couple of thoughts that I think can occupy us Throughout the entire time, I want to mention a little bit about the the position or the state of our first parents, Adam and Eve. The fathers of the church teach us that when Adam and Eve were created, they were created with potential, not as those who were fully formed, but with the potential to be conformed to the likeness of God. They were created in the image of God which is the indelible stamp of God upon the human being, which cannot be escaped. None of us can escape the reality that we've been brought into existence by God, whether we like it or not, but we can accept or deny the implication of that, that the God who is creative and the lover of mankind made each and every one of us uniquely to respond in love to him and to be in communion with one another through love. And that's where the likeness comes in, We have the ability to accept or reject that. Of course, we know something separates humans from the animals. And that we've been given this incredible gift of free will, which is one of the highest dignities. Not only did God create us with the ability to love and to be united to him. But as you know, He created us with the option to do the opposite of that, to turn our backs and to flee from Him. Otherwise, our love for Him would not have been free. And that's the significance of that tree in the garden. You may eat of everything in the garden. He says, the whole earth is yours, except for this. And here's the reason, lest you confuse yourself with me, And understand that I am the source of life and meaning and purpose. If humans were given a sense of omnipotence over the earth. Then they would have done, well, automatically what we have already done. (laughs) Exercised total authority over creation and not needed God. Because they would have had access to everything and done with it as they please. But we know that apart from God and apart from his wisdom and his love. Is disintegration. We were created by him and therefore for him. And so that tree is actually the key to, to human freedom. Without the choice, there would be no freedom. Without the option to trust or disobey God, we wouldn't have the freedom to love God. You understand? To respond to God's love with love is a choice that each and every one of us have and we do believe we do believe everyone does and will have that choice ultimately that's the greatest gift but also the greatest danger for us to know what's at stake that we have such a dignity that we can choose to enter into communion with god or flee from him of course what happened is, I'll, I'll mention something else too. One of the, the important teachings of the church also is that, unless you, in case you don't know, that that tree wasn't, the fathers understand that tree wasn't to be off limits forever. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of which Adam and Eve were not to partake. But they weren't ready for it yet. You see, they were they were created with the potential to trust and to mature in the likeness of God. And the fathers of the church would teach us that if they had obeyed and trusted God, then they could have been entrusted even with the knowledge of good and evil without compromising their own identity. Because their trust in God would have preceded their knowledge of evil. And therefore, they would have further fled from evil. And instead, the pride and the deception that led to the distrust of God prematurely led to separation from Him and shame. And that's very interesting that they made a mistake and they were ashamed of what they did. Vulnerable and exposed. Their ability to choose what is contrary to God was revealed to them. And that is a shameful thing. But automatically, God gave them a second opportunity. Where are you? You know, God asks, where are you? And they're hiding from him, the one who loves them. And then he says, what happened? And what should they have done? What could they have done? Which we believe would have Automatically redeemed them. We made a mistake. Forgive us, please forgive us. We ate. We were deceived by the serpent. And you know, we all need to say by ourselves. Don't just blame the devil for everything. You know, I like that story from the life of Saint Anthony, where the devil walks up, or the door, Saint Anthony's hut door gets a knock. Pop, pop, pop. He opens the door and the devil is standing there. St. Anthony goes, hey, what are you doing here? He says, well, what's going on? Everyone's blaming me for everything, but they're doing it to themselves. And so we really do have to take responsibility for our own actions. But instead of asking for forgiveness, dear God, we know you love us and know what's best for us. Will you please forgive us? The, immediate, the first thing they did was blame, blame one another. I mean, what did Adam say? The woman you gave me deceived me. Women have had kind of a bad rap from that point on, haven't they? Well, we're working on fixing that. You know, that's something that needs to be repaired. But the woman you gave me, and I like to say, it sounds like he's blaming it on the woman, Eve, but actually the woman you gave me. You understand? He blamed God for his own sin. That's pretty abysmal. And I like to say, actually, in a way, anytime we, we blame another person, we're blaming, ultimately we're blaming God. I mean, when we're, trying to, when we're trying to pit everything on other people, especially to avoid responsibility ourselves, ultimately we're blaming God and we're doing just the thing that Adam and Eve did. But the immediate response was to blame one another and blame God and a failure to take responsibility and a failure to ask for forgiveness. So one of the questions I want to ask is, who are Adam and Eve? Who are they? One answer that we could give is they're our first parents. They're the ones who got us into that predicament. Thanks, guys. But also they're... The first humans that are just images of you and I. Adam and Eve are you and I. I'm not saying they didn't exist. But I'm saying their humanity and the reality of their mistakes are things that we embody as well. Just as much as they did. And we're just as responsible as they are. And so when you think of Adam and Eve, you don't think of them with disdain. But you think of them with repentance. Because... You and I have done the same things and perhaps even worse than they have. So when we ask a question like what happened then, then we extend it to what's happening today. And then we can ask the question, what should they have done and give the answer and say that's exactly what we should do. And so I would say that's the predicament that they gone into. What should they have done? They should have asked for forgiveness and they shouldn't have blamed one another. And that's one of the reasons this Sunday is called Forgiveness Sunday. It's not called Be Ashamed and Hate Yourself Sunday. It very well could be. I could say, look, Adam and Eve are you and I, and they deserve to to be departed, to be separated from God and go to hell. And And you know what? We are too. So let's give up and go home and eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But that's not the end of the story. We bear witness today to the fact that there is a hope even that we're longing for. And every year we venture toward a deeper understanding of the hope that God has given us through forgiveness. And not only through having our wrongs righted somehow, you know, the, white, the whiteboard of your sins are raised. So much more than that, beloved in Christ. We know that we're preparing to come to a deeper understanding of the fact that God united himself to us in every way on a cellular level. So that every ounce of us, every part of us could be redeemed. And truly forgiven. Not just exonerated, but united. And that's a really beautiful thing and it's a hopeful thing. Now we could say then, Adam and Eve's failure to, uh, to follow the command of God was also a failure to fast. Because he said, do not eat. And what did they do? They ate. And that's part of the reason why our therapy to heal from the fall is to fast. To willfully deprive ourselves of that which we think is good, but we know that there's something better than even that. That we, that we like and that we prefer. Let me read a little reflection to you by one of my favorite writings. It's an anonymous writing. May God bless the author. It's an 11-page document, but I'm just going to read a little from the first page or so. It's called Ascetic Reflections on the Way of Self-Sacrifice. And he goes through different aspects of spiritual discipline and talks about why he does them It's like a a boy approaching his father, asking questions. Why do you do this? Why do you fast? Why do you pray? Why do you sit in silence? And so on. And this one's about fasting. A boy once approached his father. Old man, why do you fast? The father stood silent, bringing heart and mind together. And then... Beloved boy, I fast to know what it is I lack. For day by day I sit in abundance, and all is well before me. I want not, I suffer not, and I lack but that for which I invent a need. But my heart is empty of true joy, filled yet overflowing with dry waters. There is no room left for love, I have no needs, and so my needs are never met. No longings, and so my desires are never fulfilled. Where all the fruits of the earth could dwell, I have filled the house with dust and clouds. It is so full, so I am content, but it is empty, and so I weep. Thus I fast, beloved, to know the dust in which I dwell. I take not from that which I might Take for in its absence I am left empty and what is empty stands ready to be filled I turn from what I love for my love is barren and by it I curse the earth I turn from what I love that I might purify my loving and move from curse to blessing from my abundance I turn to want as a soldier leaves the comfort of home of family and love to know the barrenness of war, for it is not only amongst the fight, in the torture of loss, in the fire of battle, that lives are lost to the blind man, excuse me, that lives, lives are lost and the blind man clearly sees. In hunger of body and mind, I see the vanity of food, for I have loved food as food and have never been fed. In weary, Waking vigil, I see the vanity of sleep for I've embraced sleep as desire and have never found rest in sorrow with eyes of tears. I see the vanity of pleasure for I have treasured happiness above all and I have never known joy. I fast, beloved child, to crush the wall that is myself. For I am not who I am, just as these passions are not treasures of gold, but of clay. I fast to die, for it is not the living who are raised, but the dead. I fast to crucify my desires. For he who was crucified was he who lived, and he who conquered, and he who lives forever. This is the manner in which we should approach the time of fasting, not a time of merely imposed abstinence from things that we would rather have, but we Put them to the side so that we can have them later. But a time of fasting from certain things is also a time of feasting in other things. Fast from selfish desires and egotism, feast on kindness and acts of love and mercy toward other people, fast from sin, feast on virtue. Fast from laziness. Feast on prayer and the worship of God. You understand? There's an important paradigm shift that needs to happen. There's an important shift of perspective that we can have that makes the time of willful self-deprivation a joyful one. And it makes the person light and not burdened. It makes the person free not constrained by self-will anymore. Something so beautiful happens. And that's why us Westerners, we like to see everything as a set of rules that are to be followed. But that's not really the case here. That's why I always use the term therapy or therapeutic. It's unto our healing. And if we trust the church, who's governed by the Holy Spirit, that leads us not only to relief from shame and regret, but unto union with the lover of mankind. If we trust, then we step forward with a, a joyful gate, not a forlorned one. We step forward trusting God in the way that Adam and Eve should have, in the way that you and I should have, in the way that they can, and in the way that you and I can. So, of course, we need to fast. We need to do our best to deprive ourselves of the excesses that so weigh us down, to which we feel entitled, as those who are fallen and so selfish. Of course, we need to fast, come to church as much as possible. But during this season, I want to focus on a couple of specific things. The things that Adam and Eve Should have done the things that you and I should have done but can do. One, when we make mistakes. We have to ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness and take responsibility. Even if in your ignorance you didn't mean it, you still did it. So take responsibility for what you did and be ignorant no more. And stand up a little taller. And say, now I know. God help me. Thank you for that lesson. Please forgive me, my Lord and my God, for harming another person, harming your creation, and harming myself. But we need to ask for forgiveness often. We're going to do the rite of forgiveness this evening, going around asking and granting one another's forgiveness. And one of the things that we should probably do in our homes is do the rite of forgiveness every night if we can, every night during Great Lent bowed before one another, forgive me. The person responds, I forgive you, please forgive me. And then the first person again says, I forgive you, God forgives all. Asking for forgiveness and then just not blaming. Not blaming. I want one of your Lenten endeavors, yours and mine, to be the waging of war against blame, because to blame other people is to the deeper we go and the go down the path of blaming is to distrust God's providence. I'm not saying don't hold your kids responsible if they s- steal a cookie or break a plate or something like that. But I am saying, and you know what I mean, when we blame others for all of the problems in the world, when we blame others for how we feel, when we blame others for everything that we perceive as incorrect in the world. And ultimately, blaming is just being judgmental. But we've got a lot of work to do on ourselves. And so that's where the work begins. Blaming ourselves, not others. Standing up and looking up toward the light of Christ, And not blaming others for being lost in the darkness. So, during this holy season of Great Lent, we've got our work cut out for us, but it's a beautiful work and it's worth doing. We should forgive and we should ask for forgiveness. and stop blaming, and then we will see that the threat and power of sin in our lives will begin begin to unravel. If we forgive and ask for forgiveness and stop blaming, what will we be left with? Ultimately trusting in God, like Adam and Eve could have, And should have like you and I could have and should have and still can. Remember that he's the author of all good things. The only thing that we should long for and be so desperate for is to fulfill his holy will. And then we will lack nothing. Even in our absence of abundance, we will lack no good thing. Rich men have turned poor and gone hungry but they that seek the Lord shall not be deprived of any good thing. May it be so for us during this beautiful time of great and holy Lent. Glory to God who loves us, who leads us on the path of healing and repentance, who redeems us out of his great love and abundant mercy. Amen.